Transform your home in one weekend with paint from Menards. Get a paint that combines durability and gorgeous color. Dutch Boys DuraClean Interior Paint and Primer in One offers Stay Clean technology, making your home stay beautiful and clean longer. And with Dutch Boys Easy Opening Smooth Pouring Container, transforming your home has never been easier. Save big money on Dutch Boy paints and head into Menards to get your paint project started today. Save big money at Menards. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to Over and Back's Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s. Today's mystery is... What finally brought the ABA and NBA together? Hey, this is Jason, and this is part four, the final part of my conversation with Rainus Lattice of the Handle Podcast, talking about the off-court battles between the ABA and the NBA. Uh, in this episode, we are going to talk about George McGinnis uh, going to the NBA David Thompson signing with the ABA and uh, how the battles between the ABA and NBA ended. We previously discussed how the ABA formed in part one, talked about uh, Spencer Haywood's landmark legal case uh, bringing underclassmen into the pros in part two. And in part three, we talked a lot about the uh, bidding wars between the two leagues in the early 1970s. So if you haven't listened to those episodes, I recommend you go back first to those before you listen to this one. Uh, Today, we are brought to you by the Fast Break Breakfast podcast. Fast Break Breakfast is a podcast for serious NBA fans that is incredibly not serious. Check out what happens when you get two musicians and a comic who are overeducated, underemployed, but share an obsession about the NBA, 90s movies, and conspiracy theories. So make sure you subscribe to Fast Break Breakfast on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast, or check it out at the Step Back. We are joined in progress with Rainus discussing 1974 and the beginning of the end for the ABA. So the 1974 draft... um, for Contenders All-Americans, the NBA gets Bill Walton, Jamal Wilkes, and Campy Russell. The ABA, Marvin Barnes, who's number two in the NBA draft, who would have gone to Philadelphia. Bobby Jones, number five, would have gone to Houston. Billy Knight and Len Elmore. Um, other notable players uh, for the NBA, John Drew, Scott Wedman, Truck Robinson, Phil Smith, Tom Burleson. And uh, and uh, for the ABA, uh, Maurice Lucas. So, um, I, interestingly enough, I mean, you... Um, that's actually fairly close. Um, the NBA had more bulk of very good players, but the top-level players, I mean, um, Walton and Barnes were both disappointing in, in different ways. I mean, Walton obviously had more team success and, you know, led uh, um, 
led Portland to a championship and all of that. But, you know, Bobby Jones and, you know, Billy Knight, uh, the secondary players, and Maurice Lucas, um, you know, the ABA probably did a little bit better in total talent there um, at, at the top level, even if the NBA's depth was stronger. And in a way, Philly might have dodged the bullet there because uh, when when you think of the 77 team that went to the finals, uh, everybody always mentions the lack of cohesiveness on the court and uh, the fact that there were too many egos involved. And uh, it's it's remarkable to think of a team that uh, would also have Marvin Barnes on the roster besides, uh, of course, uh, Julius, who, who was a class person. But uh, besides George McGinnis and then Steve Mix and all the other colorful personalities on that team. Yeah, that would have been, that would have quite been something for sure. Um, June of 74, this isn't really related to the ABA, but I thought it was interesting. The uh, NBA votes to award an expansion franchise to Toronto for the 76 season. They actually awarded to the city, not to an ownership group, which is the first time, probably only time ever. Uh, but then later would change their mind in January of 75 and vote not to. Probably couldn't find an ownership group or thought that the logistics of having a team in Toronto at that point weren't good. But uh, I, I did find that kind of fascinating. Um, had you heard that before? No, first time I've heard it. And yeah, that I think the detail about, about it being awarded to a city, it's it, yeah, it's it's even more fascinating than the fact that uh, Toronto and, and Canada have had a could have had a franchise for, for basically 40 years now. Yeah. Um, in August of 74, Utah signed Moses Malone out of high school. He, he would become the first player to be signed, um, out of high school. Um, in October of 74, Wilt Chamberlain leaves the, um, leaves the Qs after a season there as coach. In uh, December of 74, the Spirits of St. Louis, uh, who had just, uh, started operation after, uh, coming from the Carolina Cougars. They suspended Joe Caldwell, uh, talked about it in a previous show with the Rich, but the uh, justification for that was that he had uh, led Marvin Barnes astray, which is always a uh, uh, <laughs> always an amusing idea. Um, but Caldwell would la- basically be blackballed from the NBA and ABA for the rest of his career, and there would be many lawsuits uh, regarding that after um, the ABA was done uh, over uh, with uh, mostly with uh, – Ted Munchak, who had been the Cougars' owner over um, monies that he felt he hadn't been paid or issues that he had dealt with uh, there. But um, but th- that was the end of his uh, indefinite suspension that ended his career. Um, in January of 75, the ABA announced that a Cincinnati Cougars franchise would replace one of the current teams uh, in the uh, next season. That did not come to pass, but interesting that they had plans to do that. Um there was also there had been talk about moving Louisville to Cincinnati at one point, but John Y. Brown had stepped in and had kept the Colonels in Louisville. Um, and Cincinnati, of course, the Royals had recently left um, Cincinnati and moved to Kansas City and become the Kings. So uh, that was a, you know, had had an NBA history. Uh, January of 75, also Golden State accused the Lakers of tampering when they had signed Cassie Russell essentially as a free agent. Now, this was before official free agency, but there was the sort of, a loophole in which they had been the Lakers had been able to sign Cassie Russell. Um, however, the Warriors ended up getting a pick out of the um, they were awarded a pick that which became Robert Parrish of uh, all things. So they they ended up uh, doing pretty well with that. Um, in February of seventy five, a district court ruled uh, against an NBA ABA player to a joint NBA and ABA effort to end a lawsuit by the players. 
and a federal judge upheld their right to pursue a class action lawsuit, continuing that uh, for another year. Um, then in May of 1975, Dave Busher is named the ABA commissioner, and also that month, the uh, George McGinnis ends up uh, suing the NBA uh and challenging the legality of the NBA draft so that he can negotiate with the Knicks as a free agent. Now, this is an interesting, very complicated situation. McGinnis had, of course, been gone to the ABA with the Pacers. It led them to uh, two championships, and um, and then another. It, they were just coming off of a finals appearance um, in '75. They were sort of an underdog team that he led them to the finals. Was, co-MVP of the league so about as big of a star as it got but um a year previously the Knicks had um and the 76ers had agreed on the a deal which would have sent the rights to McGinnis to the Knicks provided that the Knicks could sign him I think it was within 90 days um and the deal apparently would have involved sending Earl Monroe a pick in cash to the Sixers and then after negotiations ended up falling through and McGinnis signed a long-term contract with the Pacers, but it included an opt-out clause after one year. So he was this was after this one year, and he was back at the uh, table. Uh, interestingly enough, McGinnis said at the time in 74 uh, that he wasn't ready to make the move to New York, and Walt Frazier, who had taken him out in the town, uh, agreed, seeing that uh, I think George got scared by all the tall buildings. And uh, what I love the most, about all of this is, is, is a nugget that can be found in an article at uh, rememberdaba.com, which was written at the time by Dan Patterson. And Dan mentioned uh, that the Pacers went as far as going to court in an effort to prevent McGinnis from negotiating with the Knicks, and uh, they succeeded in obtained, uh, obtained temporary restraining orders against McGinnis, uh, the Knicks, and the 76 So, yeah, uh, a classic NBA versus the ABA clash. Yeah, and then in 75, it's interesting because when uh, his agents went to the Knicks and wanted to negotiate again, the Knicks apparently said no, but then the attorneys for McGinnis insisted that if the Knicks now refused to deal with him, having shown such interest before, they will be violating the antitrust clause by agreeing with Philadelphia and the rest of the NBA to boycott him, which I, that, that one just kind of, <laughs> the, the logic there is really interesting. <laughs> Yeah, and then eventually McGinnis signed a six-year, three-point-one million-dollar deal with the Knicks, despite the Sixers holding his rights. Um, the Knicks owners called the Sixers, asked what they wanted for McGinnis, and then Irv Kozlov, the Sixers owner, responded for the NBA to take your expletive-deleted franchise away. And then later, his quote would be. The act of the New York Knickerbockers in signing George McGinnis to a contract was an open violation of the draft which they have participated in and benefited from. My initial reaction when I learned of this outrageous deed was to call it an act of piracy. Having reflected upon it, I now see it more as treason. No amount of time that passed or that may pass can quiet the rage within me and the entire organization. So, um... Eventually, June of 75, Larry O'Brien has just taken office. He disallows McGinnis' deal with the Knicks, takes away their 1976 first-round pick, and then McGinnis signed a six-year, $3.2 million deal with Philly, who actually were now a much better team than they had been in 74. So it actually, you know, he, 74 he hadn't been interested in there. Philly was 
just a, a year or so away from that nine win team that was terrible. Now they've gotten Doug Collins and some other pretty good talent. So they, you know, were in much better position than they had been just the year previous. Yeah. And uh, m- meanwhile, the, the Knicks are probably on, on the downfall as, as their veterans from the championship team are aged. The Bushers already the commissioner of the ABA. So it's, it's a situation where really is definitely going well, well the opposite side. So, you, you can see how McGinnis would uh, change his mind over that period of time. So in um, in May of 1975, Walter Kennedy turned down an offer for a best of five Colonel's Warrior series, which, which I, I think was the only official um, where the, one of the leagues asked the other league. I know there were some informal ones like uh, uh, the Oakland Oaks challenged the uh, Celtics, Alex Hannum uh, in 69, and there were a couple other ones where they definitely – talked about it but i i think that was maybe the only official one where there was an invitation to do it and of course it it didn't happen but um as we talked about in some of the um uh, in our on the court episode where we talked about some of our mythical uh, finals matchups that would have been uh that, that would have been a fun one to see yeah and i think this is the one where we had the colonels as the favorites though we, we weren't sure about uh, their uh, playoff success uh, as as they did have some uh bad years in regards to fulfilling the the high promise they had but uh i, I do remember that i think that remember the aba had uh the the nets offering uh something similar to the boston celtics in, in 1976 okay so yes those might have been the 75 champions yeah but uh that might have been a single game not not a not a series uh, this this is likely the only the only time where there was a best of five proposal on the table in um, the 75 draft, the Consensus All-Americans, um, NBA got Dave Myers, Gus Williams, and Kevin Grevy. Uh, ABA got David Thompson, who was number one in the NBA draft, and Tiki Burden. Other notables, non-All-Americans, NBA got Daryl Dawkins straight out of high school, Alvin Adams, Lionel Hollins, World Be Free, and the ABA got uh, Marvin Webster and Dan Roundfield. So, um and Marvin Webster was the number three pick in the draft. So, so this was really, um, you know, Marvin Barnes year before, and then this year are there are some really high NBA draft choices who are uh, going to the ABA. Um, and we'll get to more of that in just a moment. But uh, June of '75, the ABA adopted a 24 second clock, which had previously had a 30 second clock for its uh, for its history. Uh, one thought is that they wanted to. Um, uh, make themselves more like the NBA as, as part of their appeal to uh, hopefully merge together, which I, I think everyone in the ABA at this point is seeing the writing on the raw and realizing that the French, that the uh, league does not probably have much more of a future. And uh, I don't know if adopting the 24 second clock made that easier in any way, but I guess uh, it couldn't hurt. July of 1975, um, the Nuggets officially signed David Thompson and Marvin Webster now, the Atlanta Hawks had drafted uh, them number one and number three in the NBA draft, so the Hawks lost out on both players, uh, amazingly. Um, the Hawks, um, uh, the Nuggets, their appeal to David Thompson was that uh, Larry Brown um, and Doug Moe, um, uh, Larry Brown had been a, um, had gone to North Carolina, and um, Thompson, you've been in NC State, so they had a relationship together, both part of the North Carolina family, even though they had gone to rival schools. 
they'd also signed uh, David Thompson's friend uh, Monty Toe, uh, who was uh, his, his college teammate. So that was a another appeal. Uh, the Hawks uh, supposedly had offered him more real money sooner, but the Nuggets had the deferred payments and ultimately um, a, a larger amount in total. Um, now there's a story about the Hawks. Uh, taking Thompson to McDonald's um, as whether, you know, perhaps that was, uh, you know, the Hawks being arrogant or ignorant or what what have you. Now, whether that actually happened or not is, um, is speculation. I couldn't find anything um, concrete on that, but that's, a, you know, if that is actually what they did, that, um, you know, whether or not it actually mattered in the end, when the optics did not look good. And of course, this you know was a, a huge loss for the the Hawks because the merger would happen in the next year, and then they would not have um, uh, they would not get Thompson and Webster. You know, after that, they would they would stay with the well. Webster would be a free agent, and would go to the Sonics, and 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 then the Knicks. Uh, David Thompson would of course stay with the Nuggets. So the Hawks lost out on you know two building blocks, which they were had emerging from a um, rebuilding situation after they had lost Pete Maravich. And uh, after the previous attempts to sign um, Julius Irving didn't work out for them, so the AB the um, the Hawks definitely had a lot of poor luck when it came to the uh, ABA. Yeah, and it's hard for me to tell how high does our audience value David Thompson, but it really should be uh, on the level of Dr. J. His uh, NC State team went thirty and one when he was a sophomore. He Center Tom Burleson was a noteworthy player, but other than that, they had the, the five seven Monty Tao, who you mentioned, and he might have been their third best option. And they defeated Marvin Barnes's Providence team, Bill Walton's and UCLA UCLA team, and uh, on the way to their to the title. And, and Thompson averaged twenty six six and four his his first rookie his first year in the in the ABA. So. David Thompson was the real deal and uh, a shooting guard who more so resembles perhaps today's guards and uh, getting him what might have been just as big as getting Dr. J, but obviously the merger would come come in a year and his his career and the way that turned out is a completely uh, another story. Yeah, David Thompson was, was really good. Uh, absolutely yeah i mean he was uh, you know um he was in a prototype of michael jordan not not that good but uh because obviously no one's that good but but he was very much the same type of player and, and a player that jordan you know fashioned his game after and, and very much had you know similar skills and similar um was exciting in a similar way um in September of 75, uh, the Nuggets and the uh, Nets uh, applied for NBA membership. Um, uh, this is very much upset, of course, the rest of the ABA teams who were, um, you know, at that point, the Nuggets and the Nets were, you know, were, were the two strongest teams, at least in terms of talent. Uh, the remaining teams actually applied in October for the 77 season, but the NBA declined to take any action on the applications because of the Ask Robertson suit. Um, in November of 75, the ABA Players Union gets involved in suing to block the merger, uh, claiming that the Nets, the Nuggets, and the Colonels, who were also were sort of affiliated with this applying for NBA membership stuff, they, they, they I don't know if they ever, well, I guess they officially did when the other teams did, but they were sort of on the, um, John Way Brown may have sort of been playing both sides of this, and it, it claimed that the um, those three teams were conspiring to put the ABA out of business. So some of the teams, meanwhile, are basically going out of business, as I'm sure you you will you will in just in just a few seconds. 
Yeah, exactly. It, you know, we're in October, November, and December. Baltimore Claws fold. The um, San Diego, who changed the name to the Sales, had folded. Utah folded. Uh, Virginia was very, very near folding, although they would manage to survive the season. So yeah, the um, the league goes down from um, it goes down just just seven teams for the uh, the full season. So um, the definitely the the league is you know showing the signs of falling apart. And in that vein, the in December of '75, the NBA actually has a um, a draft of ABA undergraduates. Um, there's lawsuits over this. Um, the ABA sues to you know considers it a unlawful conspiracy and a uh, violation of the Sherman Act. Uh, eventually, the uh, and kind of connects it to Denver and and the Nets uh, applying for the NBA. Uh, eventually, they delay it, but they do hold the draft on December 30th, 1975. Uh, the Jazz a draft Moses Malone, who was uh, who, who had been with the um, St. Louis, or excuse me, had been with Utah and then went to St. Louis. Uh, the Lakers uh, draft um, Mark Olberding of, of the uh, Spurs. Um, the Jazz and the Lakers would later forfeit those picks under the merger agreement, but then they gained draft picks in the 77 draft that they had previously forfeited when they made these expansion or whatever you would call it, whatever kind of draft you would call this. Um, the 76ers drafted Mel Bennett and Bennett would actually join the team later as a free agent after the merger. Although he'd be traded to Indiana before the 77 season for a first round pick that would later become Andrew Tony. So a good deal for the 76ers there. And the Warriors drafted Skip Wise and the Buffalo Braves drafted Charles Jordan, neither of whom played in the ABA. So very much a footnote but and didn't really lead to much, but interesting nonetheless. And I believe Skip, Skip Wise is the phenom out of, of Baltimore. I, I, I don't remember which college he played for, but uh, he was uh, – it could have been Clemson. He was pretty much on, on drugs at that time. So the, his career ended up uh, – his career basically ended before it really started. Uh, he was uh, in a cu- couple of practices for the Baltimore Hustlers, I believe. That's that's right. Yes, um, and yeah, he'd been a he he played at Dunbar High School, and um, and you're right, he did play for uh, Clemson. He was the first freshman to uh, be All ACC, so was was certainly a. Uh, yeah, that's right. He was the one in loose balls that was mentioned that the uh, coach found him shivering in the uh, locker room. There was knowledge that drugs were going on, but you, probably heroin was um, outside of the purview of most of the uh, uh, you know NBA, ABA players during this time. I and mean, cocaine was obviously ha- had become a major thing in marijuana, of course. But but I think heroin was you know outside the bounds of most of the experience of the uh, uh, the players and the coaches during that point. You, you certainly didn't expect your 20-year-old rookie shivering in the locker room. Right, exactly. For that matter. Yes, yes. So um, January of 76, the district court, uh, a U.S. district court rules that the college draft and the reserve clause violate the Antitrust Act and that the merger would be anti-competitive. Uh, then in February 76, the Oscar Robertson suit is finally settled by the Players Union and the NBA giving players limited free agency and ending the option clause. And then in March 76, a court documents reveal that the NBA has actually been helping pay the salaries of some of its uh, top players, uh, as opposed to the teams um, having, which, which is interesting because that, you know, given the, um, the reputation of the ABA and the NBA, that's more of something that the ABA would have been more likely to do than the reputation of what the NBA was doing. But apparently they were, of course, 
given the way the salaries had risen so much that it was some um that was sort of understandable that the league would have kind of been at that point at that point yeah that's a bit surprising to to, to learn yeah because uh the, the ABA at that point, I believe, was uh, helping Denver with David Thompson. Uh, Mike Storen was, uh, I think, uh, helping one of the teams which were which was pretty much weeks from bankrupt. But uh, as, as this as this reveals, uh, the NBA was doing just as bad, and probably the, both of the leagues were in in that part of the of the Cold War where they're just longing for the murder. So all of this could end because no nobody would have been a winner if, if this went on for for another season. Absolutely. Um, so um, April 76, a federal judge orders the NBA and the ABA to appear for a settlement of the antitrust suit or the trial could begin in July. So they've, they've the union lawsuit is settled, but there's still the the ABA's antitrust suit against the NBA to be dealt with. Um, May of 1976, CBS actually offered a five million dollar incentive for the leagues to merge, which I hadn't heard of as well but they obviously um believed in the financial appeal i think mostly of julius irving being part of the league and the television ratings that that could bring um and then june of 76 we finally have a merger um we'll have an episode um coming up with adam cribbley to discuss the uh, details of the actual merger itself but uh we're finally here the the battle is over the uh, uh the uh, we have peace in our time i guess yeah, and uh, it as as this episode revealed, it took quite some time. Uh, it was a bit towards the beginning of the conversation when you talked about the agreement that was reached in, I, I believe, 1970, and then that in three years the league would, leagues would merge. But it took uh, quite the legal battles and uh, many years to come for the leagues actually to merge and uh, to set off a, a new time in uh, pro basketball and, and the United States. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I don't know if there's anything overall that um, lessons that we take from just the, the way the battle went back and forth or anything that, you know, just kind of looking at it, you know, sort of as a whole, looking at it as a timeline, if there's anything that stands out to you as far as, you know, something that, you know, a, a lesson or something that sort of comes together from you that you sort of realize once you you kind of look at it from this approach. I, the, the overall arc I, I see is that it, the business was just so cutthroat that uh, there so many so many of the players involved became casualties, and I, I guess that's the sad sad part uh, when 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 you think about the careers of, of guys like Jim McDaniel's who who never achieved achieved the things he could have, but uh, was a, a chess piece in, in all of this. So. Uh, I guess uh, the, the lesson here is that yeah, no, nobody, or at least uh, the majority, don't don't survive a war, and and it's a good that uh, it eventually ended with the merger. There were so many obstacles to getting the merger done that the fact that it actually finally happened, rather than the ABA going out of business, is is kind of remarkable. I, I mean, there there were so many things that were um, against it, and there was so much ill will that was engendered, you know, over the years and you know from the aba's perspective you know it's like this nba is like this behemoth that you know tr treats us like we're you know this like they were these ragtags and doesn't give us respect and you know so on and so forth and you know isn't really well run you know we're, we're a much better run league than they are we understand the pulse of the fans 
and with the in the NBA side is you know this this these upstart you know um, guys like you know they're taking advantage of all these kids and they're you know these having all these unethical business practices and and so forth and I think there's kind of truth on both sides but the fact that you know they finally you know I, I guess money solves a lot of problems because you know that that was sort of the you know what was thought to be the you know that they thought that okay bringing it all together will make a lot of money and you know it, it did in in the long term although the short term there was a lot of costs uh that went on although i guess it was costing both sides money and legal fees so much to you know continue on with the lawsuits that just ending that aspect of it certainly was better for the bottom line of both leagues yeah a, a much better point than my rambling and to, to your point uh, when you look at the supposedly stable teams of, of the aba the indiana pacers and the kentucky colonels who certainly dominated the the early 70s uh they were they were pretty much close close to bankrupt uh there recently was that 30 for 30 short on the telephone the indiana pacers had to run in the late 70s because of the money problems they had and when when you look at the ad they made uh i believe this is the summer of 1975 kentucky sold dan Issel, uh indiana gave away it's uh players with, with huge legacies who despite being veterans at th- that point it was i, I I'm, sure, I'm sure it was hard to see them go so if if it would have been another season the aba really might have not had a chance i don't know what happens if, if they fall mid through the year maybe some of the owners find a way to to get, get a place in the nba but uh, it, it seems like uh, the aba couldn't have had gone another year and the uh, that then basketball history would have been changed. Absolutely. Um, well, Arenas, is there anything you'd like to uh, let listeners know about before before we finish up? Um, I guess since since we were talking about the ABA in the seventies, uh, uh, and any listeners who are interested in this uh, can check out uh, the handle podcast. Whether you can find it on uh, my Twitter page at Lamarmatic or on Lamarmatic dot com and. Uh, the recent episode I had with Daryl Carrier, who who was one of the pioneers of the three-point shot, uh, him and Louis Dampier made it uh, really popular. They, one of the seasons they even outshot the Indiana Pacers, who were second in threes made. So I, I had a great time talking about him and picking his brain about basketball in the, in the late 60s and the early 70s. So yeah, that, that's something that uh, listeners might be interested in. Thanks again to Rainus for being on the show and having such an in-depth conversation with me about the ABA-NBA off-court battles. You can check out his work at lamarmatic.com. Highly recommend it. Uh, you can find us at the step back at fansided.com and also on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are played. Just search for Over and Back or The Step Back. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook at Over and Back NBA. Hopefully you've been enjoying our Basketball Mysteries of the 1970s series, in particular our little mini-series here on the ABA-NBA off-court battles. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back again soon. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding 
or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.